Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 120 of The Informed Catholic. And I like to uh, first start with today's gospel reading and go into the subject matter. Uh, it's going to be a continuation, sort of like part two of my last podcast. All right, um, let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Gospel according to John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. And Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does, that does he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine. So, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire and they will be burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By, th by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So, um, my last podcast, I, I'll admit I probably gave an angry rant but about uh, Bishop Robert Barron. But it's not, you know, interesting. My friend and I were talking about it, and he, he was more fascinated by Dr. Jordan Peterson's questions. Because Dr. Jordan Peterson is not, a, is not a Christian. I mean, he associates with Christianity, but he's not a Christian. He's not a Catholic. And he has shown that he is attracted to Orthodox Christianity because of the, the symbolism and the power of Orthodox Christianity. There's a lot of symbolism. And this is something that is very important. I do listen to uh, the podcast, The Symbolic World, by Jonathan Prego. I'm sorry if I can't pronounce his name correctly. But what I like about Jonathan uh, is that he he's he, he's a convert to Orthodox Christianity and he's a icon artist. He actually carves icons. And interesting, one of the things that's fascinating is about people like Bishop Robert Barron is that he's trapped in that revolutionary world of Vatican II 
all revolutionaries are trapped in their in their world, in their revolutionary world. Okay. They're defined by it. And the reason why is, and this is probably one of the reasons why America sort of has a blessing and a curse. Because we we began as a revolution. We we turned against an authority, a king, an empire, the British Empire. And the French are also trapped in that because they had the French Revolution and they're trapped in that revolutionary world. And revolutions produce more revolutionaries and more revolutionaries will will sort of turn against the last revolutionary and topple that revolutionary over. When the Vatican II uh, revolutionaries took over here in America, they stripped all the old parishes of their symbolism, the classic Catholic symbolism, the beautiful symbolic language or inside the Catholic churches. They removed the altars. They, 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 they replaced them with sort of tables like, because the altar originally was attached to the tabernacle. And it was the high altar. That's that's the whole thing. It was the high altar because the high altar, and I guess you could say there's a lower altar, but still the main point is they detached the tabernacle from the altar. And, you know, a lot of people make fun, you know, they say like they replaced it with an Ikea altar, a table, a kitchen table. And what it did was by removing all the beautiful images the sacred, they stripped the sanctuary down to nothing. They stripped it to plain, like a, a Protestant church. They basically devoured, they turned cannibalistic, spiritually cannibals, in a sense, suicidal. And this is, this is stuff that's very important to understand because art is a language which is probably one of the reasons why modern art has a hard time. It constantly is looking for new ways to paint the, you know, to the point where, you know, they even look for scraps, uh, you know, uh, and garbage to, to make art. But art, are sacred language, symbolism, in, in, inspires and it speaks on different levels. Um, Jordan Peterson pointed out he was asking, why do you think you keep losing people? Why do you think you keep losing the youth? I think it's because you're not really speaking to them in in the language that they want to hear. You know, like, there's so much mystery to this passage. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Now, in other words... Jesus is the branch. He's the tree. He's the core. He's feeding life. He's Eucharistic. He's feeding us. We're, we're the tiny branches. And his father is the vine grower. He's the one who planted everything. He's the man who, the father is the one who, who, who walks through 
the 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 winery he the the grapevines and everything he walks through it he he walks to the 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 you know he takes care he dresses the fig tree remember when jesus walked to a fig tree and he found there was no fruit and then he said may you never bear fruit the fruit is the old israel the old israel that basically has has turned political, has turned the temple political, has turned worship into a, a business. And Jesus cursed the fig tree and it, and it withered within a day. And he told many different stories about like, you know, let's, the, you know, where where the tree was not bearing food. Let me, you know, what do you call it? The keeper said, let me put fertilizer on it. Let me try for one more year to see if I can make it improve before we cut it down. And if it doesn't bear fruit by next year, then we will cut it down. Well, that's the point of that is to bear fruit is to grow spiritually, to grow supernaturally, to grow spiritually intellectual. There's a, believe it or not, there's an intellectual spirituality how to, you know, in, in intellectual spirituality is, is to be able to think like Christ, to talk like Christ, to act like Christ, to be Christ to other people. You, you, you learn how to talk in the language that they can understand. And one of the important things is what do these guys do? Peterson said, all you guys do is activism. Don't we have enough activism in the world? And question. Why, why is the church adopting activism? Because the men in the church are trapped in their old world. They know no other language. They, to them, activism is profitable. Look at Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter just got criticized for buying a $3.4 million home in, in California. And they bought four other properties. Right? Where do they get the money? They got the money from extortion, from scaring corporations, Amazon, Google, I mean, you know, and 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 Coca-Cola and and Facebook. They all gave them money. Now, was that money supposed to help the poor? Was it supposed to wasn't it supposed to help black people living in poverty? Well, they didn't use it for that. They went ahead and invested in property. You know, it's supposed to help people in living, you know, uh, schools. They, they kept on talking about inequality. They obviously didn't think it was worth it. But here's a question. Why are we losing young people? Why are people leaving Catholicism? Why? The answer is, is because the establishment, the elite, the ones who dominate the church don't know how to talk. They don't really know the gospel. They don't know the faith. They don't know Jesus Christ. What they, what they know is institutional Catholicism. They know only they've invented a Christ that is of their own making. They don't really know Jesus of the gospel. They don't know Jesus of the of the true Catholic faith. All right? I mean, seriously, the Vatican used Peter Pence money, money that we gave them to preach the gospel, and they used it to invest in an Elton John 
movie, Rocket Man, a homosexual film. They used it to invest in real estate. They even used the money to invest in a medical facility that actually turns out uses aborted fetal cells, fetuses, aborted babies. Okay, they, they're, they don't know how to talk. And they made a deal with China. And they threw our brothers and sisters underneath the, the political machine of China. They're being persecuted. Ask Cardinal Zen. All right? The Pope won't even meet him and talk with him. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example something. I know you've heard me mention it, but the show, The Chosen, presents a Jesus real with a personality who can joke, who can talk to people. The gospel is being preached. They're not compromising the gospel. They're not compromising the values of the gospel. They're not compromising it at all. What they're doing is they actually, why they're successful, they're not focusing on the miracles as much. The miracles we know happened, but they present where Jesus cares about people. He talks to people. There's one scene in the show where one of the characters, um, he was supposed to be the one who provided the wine in Cana, the wedding at Cana, and that's when the wine ran out. And um, his name, I think, Kofni, the father, and he, want, he wanted to thank Jesus for saving his reputation, for saving his livelihood. But he was totally against the idea that Thomas, they had Thomas being working with uh, as a caterer for the wedding with a young woman named Rima, the, actor, uh, the, the daughter of the, uh, the businessman. He doesn't know what Jesus did. He says to him, I don't know what you did. They, they're insistent that you performed a miracle. Um... He doesn't, he doesn't believe in miracles. He doesn't, he wasn't there, but I cannot agree that the fact that them abandoning their livelihood and business to follow you, but he's willing to accept it. And he respects Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I ask a lot from those who follow me and who, who believe in me and those who do not believe in me. I do not ask for anything. And that right there. I thought was powerful because it's true. For those who believe in Jesus, a lot is asked for. For those who do not believe in him, Jesus has said, and he often just said, believe in the works that I do if you do not believe in me. But Jesus himself is a challenging person. He's, he challenges faith. When Jesus said to Peter and the apostles to cast your net out further. It's a challenge for us to dive deeper, deeper into the gospel, into her relationship with him. That's how Jordan Peterson interprets it. Okay, that's how he interprets it. He interprets it as a as to dive deep into the waters. It's he mentioned. It's like I think in the conversation, it's like what you can see this in Tolkien's. Lord of the Rings in the Hobbit. Gandalf comes to a Bilbo Baggins' door to challenge him with an adventure 
Faith in Christ is an adventure. Tolkien was a, a, a an old school Catholic who went to a Latin math, uh, Latin mass, and he he understood he understood what the challenge of faith means. It's a it's a challenge to go deeper, deeper into your faith, deeper into your into your relationship with Christ, deeper into the gospel. Frodo would go would dive out into an adventure. He went to unknown territories. Peter and the apostles, other apostles, took the gospel to the furthest end of the earth. All right? To the furthest end of the earth, they gave their lives. Whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever leaves family and home, father and mother, land and wealth will be returned ten a hundred times over for the sake of the gospel in my name. What did he say also? Blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake, for the sake of the Son of Man. For great is your reward in heaven. That's a challenge. It's a challenge to believe. It's a challenge to go go out. The gospel, that's why Jesus is very is, is deep into symbolism because he understands what the human person needs. All right. I, I listened to Jonathan uh, uh, Pergo. I know I pronounced his name wrong. I can never get it right for some reason in the symbolic world. And he talked about Lucifer being kicked out from heaven. But then he talked about how if you look in the, if you look in the text, he also doesn't have a place on earth. He's not made for, for earth. He was originally made for heaven. He was originally made to, to, to have a relationship with God. And he lost that. He lost that. He, 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 he lost that. And the shape of a serpent, a dragon, a beast is sort of like his downgrade, his downgrade in his, in his spiritual state. He's no longer a uh, a being of of just p- of intellect he's now a being that is detached remember when 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 jesus healed or performed the exorcism on the demoniac in in the Gen- Gen- uh, gennesaret the man who came out running from the tombs uh uh running from the tombs meaning his his whole life is just death his whole life is in a state of despair and he's running naked like a wild animal, screaming and shouting. And then he falls at Jesus' feet because he recognizes Jesus' authority, his authority, uh, his control over nature, his control over reality, his control over, uh, over, over uh, an order. And he falls at his feet and what does he say? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to torment us before the time, before the judgment? And they demanded not to be cast out into the void. I always caught that line, into the nothingness. Because they have no home. They have no place. They don't have a place among human beings. The reason why uh, a demon possesses a person and a and a person like notice how we do in the exorcist they show her in complete disarray 
The demons don't belong in her. They're not made for, she's not made for demons. She's made as a person, a complete person. Her soul belongs in her intellect, in her place. And so therefore, um, what invaded her is like a virus, is a spiritual virus. The way we worry about this virus, we're in a cold or a disease or something, or like a, a, a snake's bite, uh, the poison of a snake entering you does not belong in you, right? A bullet doesn't belong in you. So your body reacts. So her body, her mind, her spirit, her very death of her being is reacting to the to this demon invading her. So what do they wanted? They said, send us into the swine. They're in a region where obviously pork is made for Romans and Greeks. They thought they could trick Jesus. And Jesus said, go ahead. And they go right into the, all the swine. And still they don't belong in there. Because they're not made, that swine was not made for them and they're, and they're not made for the swine. So they run down the cliff, the swine, and drown into the ocean. They wound up going into the nothingness anyway. So you see, the the gospel itself is, if you read it, you can see the answers are sort of given to you, but you have to think it through. The Holy Spirit have the gospels written so we can think our way through them, ask questions, understand it. The man at the end, the, 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 the former demoniac wanted to follow Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Go back home. Tell everyone, your family, your friends, what, what the Lord has done for you. He made him into a missionary. He made him into a missionary. He gave him a mission to go and preach, to go into your hometown. And, and, and interesting, when the people came out, they saw the demoniac in his right state of mind. Before that, they were trying to chain him, lock him up. He would break everything. He found peace and tranquility at the foot of Jesus Christ. He found himself again, but even more, he found grace and he found joy. His whole life completely changed and he was given a mission. No longer will he just sit around and just enjoy the sun. Now he has to tell the whole world what happened for him. And that's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of 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 coming to Christ. Christ is the challenge, but you're never the same again. I always said it. Whether you are looking for him or you weren't looking for him, you're never going to be the same. Whether you want him or you don't want him, you're never going to be the same. Whether you love him or hate him, you're never going to be the same. All right? Whether regardless what level of education or how much education you did have, you're never going to be the same. Encountering Jesus Christ, you're never going to be the same. Even if you're a, a Muslim who will never believe in him, guess what? You're still never going to be the same because Christ changes things. 
Whether you like it or not, he may not change you. Maybe you don't want him to change you, but guess what? Someone you know and love is going to be changed by him. And that's still going to change you. Because that's who Jesus, that's what Jesus does. He is God. And my problem was that Baron didn't give a good answer. But I agree that Jordan Peterson, an outsider, gave challenging questions. He didn't get an answer from from Robert, uh, from uh, Bishop Barron the way Barron should have you know should have answered him. He admitted that they dumbed down the gospel. They dumbed down the gospel because they thought that they could they could um, win people over, and that's what Peterson said. <laughs> you think you can hug people into conversion? Nobody wants to be hugged. People want to be challenged. That's why the symbolism, like in the symbolic world, um, Jonathan uh, Prego said that it's like, you know, there's, there's different levels of, um, of reading a, a symbolic text. And, and a scripture is a symbolic text. Um, it, it is because it uses symbolism and symbolism is... is not riddles, but in a sense, to, to challenge. I mean, the horns on the beast in the book of Revelation is like a middle finger being stuck up, being stuck to the world, challenging the world's order, challenging the world's, uh, uh, the established order of things, the natural order of things. The devil, the dragon being kicked out of heaven and coming to earth in the book of revelation he stands between he stands at the shores uh and then what happens he doesn't belong on land but then we notice another beast that comes out of the water and he doesn't belong in there either all right the seven heads and and 10 horns with crowns all these are basically the seduction of the nations, seduction to the nations, disrupting the work, disrupting natural order. Government is natural order. Ruling authority is natural order. Kings, kings in authority are natural order. But winning, but the horn, the horn and the crowns on the horn is a protrusion, an interruption into these realms, government, kings, rulers, secretaries, presidents, they've been pierced by the beast, stung by a snake, poisoned. And so therefore their countries have been poisoned. So you see the revolution the revolution in those in in these realms in these rulers water the water symbolizes the nations remember in the beginning of revelation you hear christ talking in the voice of many waters meaning the voice of many people so does this beast talk in in voices in many languages and he's also been given a, a mouth and he utters blasphemies utter blasphemies against God and against the holy ones, the saints. 
He's interrupting religion. That's why the term John Paul II and Benedict XVI both said that the dragon sweeping the stars from the heavens is a symbol of bishops have, who have lost their place, who have fallen into, into the seduction of the, the, the beast. And so they lost, they fell from grace. If it was so easy for the dragon to do it, because remember in the beginning of Revelation, you see seven stars and the seven stars are the seven churches and the seven angels, but also they're the seven overseers in the seven churches of Asia, meaning the, the, the bishops the, the, who, are, who have a place. And each message is basically a warning to all the churches, because remember, the book of Revelation was a warning to the churches in Asia Minor. And that is basically a warning that of, 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 uh, of something that's going to disrupt them. A heresy, a false teaching, a corruption of the, of the religion, a corruption of the hierarchy, political unrest. All these things happen and that we, we go through them now. That's why the symbolism is very important. You know, you need to learn what the symbolism is. You need to have symbolism around you. We're, 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 we're very symbolic people. We're very symbolic, uh, uh, you know, we're spiritually symbolic. We're intellectually, we're politically symbolic. We, we, we love the symbolism of literature. We, I mean, a good example, comic books is a good example of the whole thing. And we, we see that a lot around us. But what happens when symbolism is taken away from us? Right? When What happens when, when even like, I mean, you have these people attacking. Uh, the other day, um, church militant, they showed a man who took uh, a hammer and attacked an image uh, a mural of Our Lady of Guadalupe violently attacking he got caught on camera why would someone do that because he understands the power and symbolism these people remove statues because they know the power and symbolism of the statues. They know this, the power and symbolism of a national symbol of these images. Okay, the burning of a flag. It may be a piece of cloth, but it's also a symbol. All right, removing a, a, a saint statue is a, there's a meaning to it. Wanting to to remove the statue of, of King Louis in St. Louis, Missouri is a powerful symbol. Revolutionaries attack symbolism and then what happens, they replace it with their own symbolism until later on somebody else topples them. You know, and then you look like uh, you're, you're suddenly you're in a, a garbage dump in, in somewhere in Russia or Siberia, where Lenin's statue and Stalin's statue are all there, basically. It's, that's the problem. Revolutionaries eat each other up, technically. When I read this text here, this passage here, I'm glad that um, this is the passage that was chosen for today.
I am the true vine. Jesus often uses like trees, like he says, like a mustard seed. And then he mentions it, it, it's the smallest of all mustard seeds. And it, when you plant it and it grows, it sprouts many branches. Now, I don't know, uh, mustard seed is like a spice, but he, he says all the birds make their home. He's referring to us. He's referring to the church. Over here, the vine, he's referring to a grapevine. And he's referring to, um, now, if you, ever, if you watch the show, The Chosen, they actually show something very important. You know, at Mass, we hear the priest say, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gave us the fruit of the vine. They, they say that every single time they're going to drink wine because wine is one is a symbol of one of the most important substances on earth. Food, drink, because we know that's an important part of our lives. But it's, you know, that's why you're not supposed to get drunk on wine. You, you know, you, it's a sin to get drunk because it's part of a ceremony. You're giving thanks to God for what he's for the earth. You're giving him thanks for the fruit of the vine. And bread is another important symbol. It's part of our, 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 our liturgy, right? It's part of it. It's the fruit of the vine, the work of human hands. You know, we give you thanks for this. And that blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, who gave us, you know, uh, the, the bread, the, you know, bread to eat and the, you know, you know the you know uh, from the earth, and it's a symbol. You know it's the work of human hands because human beings plant and grow, and God sends the rain. He sends, he sends the sunlight to help it grow. But in this case, this is a sacramental connection. To to remain with Him sacramentally, spiritually connected to Him, because you feed off of Him. If the vine is cut off, like He says. Is, and it doesn't grow fruit. It doesn't. It doesn't bear any fruit. It's cut off. It's thrown into the fire. That's judgment. Right there. You you live in Him. You abide in Him. Remain in Me. Remain in Me. He says here, I you know, I spoke to you. Remain in Me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. That's quite clear. So question is again, why are people leaving the church? Can't every single time I go to mass, I'm hearing some pathetic reflection on something other than the text. It's like they're, I don't know, who gave the memo? Last week, the pastor, I, I, I know he must have listened to Baron. Can you be saved outside of the church? 
Can there be salvation outside the church? It's like every single time Catholicism has to be dumped down. And then he has to bring something up about some a pope and some Jewish family. It's like Catholicism has to look guilty again. You know, or Steven Spielberg making a movie on this. I mean, again, to attack Catholicism and to make Catholicism look bad. Jesus wants us to remain in him. He will guide us through everything. He needs to be part of every corner of our life, every aspect of our life. I studied illustration. I studied art. I haven't been successful. I'm not successful at all. All right. I would I would honestly say I'm still looking to find my way. I'm hoping one day I can do something to serve God in my illustrations, in my work, my paintings, my art. I hope I want to. I want to make I, I want to contribute to the to the to the gospel. I want to contribute to God. I want to contribute everything. I feel he gave me a gift. I believe he gave me a gift. I want to use it. I want to use it for him. But one thing's for sure, you know, I know that I can only do it unless he guides me, unless he gives me the means, unless he opens the door for me. But even as a Catholic, I have to grow. And all of us, I think if you're an actor, you're an you're a painter, you're a mathematician, you're a musician, uh, you're a mechanic, you're a police officer. It's Christ that will fulfill the work for you. It was Christ that will give you purpose and reason. There is no other name under heaven. There is no other name under heaven that anyone can be saved except through the name of Jesus. And that is something that I think a lot of these pastors in the church have to grow up they have to either step aside, either have a really deep, deep conversion and understand. Okay, they took on a position that I think is scary to be a priest, to to take on the priesthood, to to willingly wanting to serve. You're gonna you're gonna have to give an answer for why you failed. Why, why you, you didn't want to grow, why you didn't want to preach the gospel further. That's a, that's a serious responsibility on their part, and they really have to think about it. I think someone like the Dr. Jordan Peterson asked a serious question. Now, Timothy Gordon turned into a whole competition, I think, on, on philosophy, like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, and Thomas Aquinas. That's not what it was all about. But, I mean, I, maybe he... There's some point to what he was trying to say. But the question is, again, why are people leaving the church? Why are people leaving Catholicism? Why do young people prefer to go to a, a Catholic Latin mass than to a Novus Ordo that's dumbed down? I don't, I don't think, I don't think they're being challenged. I don't think they're being... I don't think it's being met. Their needs are being met. I don't think their Catholicism is being presented more sophisticated. 
there's different layers of reading, of, 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 of living your faith. There's different ways you can read scripture. Like I said, it's like coming back to a landscape and you notice something you didn't notice before. All right. Or coming back to a painting and notice something you didn't notice before. Or reading a poem and you didn't, you, 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 you read it many times over, but you noticed something you didn't notice before. Coming to a beautiful cathedral with all the beautiful symbolism, right? A cathedral that hasn't been wrecked by Vatican II. And you notice, you notice something. You notice something before that you didn't notice. You didn't, you didn't notice ever. You know, there's a scene in the book, Father Elijah by uh, Michael D. Uh, O'Brien, where Father Elijah and this English priest, they went to look at a um, a painting. It's a painting about the Antichrist. It's an old mural. Basically, the image looks like Jesus. And you think first maybe it's um, it's the three temptations. But you notice a little carefully. And one of the interesting thing is these paintings, these murals, they should be seeing a natural light, not in an artificial light. You notice closely the devil, the demonic image, the devil standing behind the image of Christ has his arms go into the fold, but you can't tell if it's his arms or Christ, or the image of the Christ-like image arms coming out. People are standing around listening, but you notice closely, Father Elijah said to, and this is in the novel, look closely, look closely, empty your mind of what you think you know. And the English priest got sick. He realized that's not Jesus. That's the Antichrist. He looks like Jesus. There's no halo. He doesn't, a halo, usually they put a halo around his head in that, in that time and it has a cross. No. You see what I'm saying? That is revelation. That is the apocalypse right there. That's the warning of the coming Antichrist. That's how you read things, the symbolism and everything. Back then, in, the, in those, those days, they understood the power of symbolism. They understood the power of it because it's a warning. It, Jesus himself said, even the elect may, may almost be deceived. Catholicism is a mystery. It's it's a mystery and you need symbolism to wake you up, to make you alert. If, if revelation is, is, is clear and understandable, then we would never come back to it over and over again. Revelation has to be, has to be constantly a mystery in each generation. It, you know, the apocalypse is a generational thing. It's each, it's each generation is constantly coming back. Each civilization is being challenged. Each generation is constantly being challenged. And we're not all the same. All right. Jesus, who, who talks to, who talked to, uh, St. Peter, St. Peter and I are two different people. All right. Mary Magdalene is different than me. 
Her relationship with Jesus and my relationship with Jesus is individual. I'm an individual. She's an individual. All right. John the Apostle, St. John the Apostle and St. Paul, they're both individuals and I'm an individual. Christ relates to them differently than he does to me because he, he sees me in the same way he sees you as different people. He deals with each one on to one-to-one basis. And a lot of people need to understand that. And I think the problem with these modern, with these leaders in the church, and I think Pope Francis, is that they don't understand that. They relate to Christ in a activist way. That's very boring, if you ask me. I mean, it's very boring. It's a very boring world they live in. Okay? It's, you know, these, I guess I'm going to say it, these homosexual clerics, it's all based on themselves, their vices. It's their vices. A, a Satanist doesn't really worship Satan. He worships his vices, his lusts, his addictions. It's, you know, I remember what John, what, what was his name? Alistair Crawley. Do as thou do what as thou will. I think something like that. Whatever, whatever is 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 your vices. In other words, do what you want. Do what you want to do. It's selfishness. All right. Jesus says, "Who you know to want to pick up the cross, you have to deny yourself." You have to deny yourself. A selfish person is a parasite. You feed off somebody. You feed off. Uh, what is it? What is a parasite? Something that feeds off. Like the same thing with a pedophile. You feed off the innocence of a, of a child. Pornography is the feed off. Um, you know, sex of uh, 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 you know a body of another person to get your pleasure, to get what you want. <sighs> Same thing with gluttony. And <laughs> I come to that because I suffer from overweightness. And that's, that is, that is a problem. You constantly have to feed your appetite. You constantly have to feed your, your needs, your insecurities, your wants, your desires or whatever. But Christ says, deny yourself, deny yourself and follow me. You must pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. And you have to, you know, Jesus said, whoever among you is great must be lesser and serve others. He who is the least must, you know, you know, must be greater. In other words, think of your, whoever thinks of himself as humbly will rise up in a position. Jesus said also, when you go to a table, what does he tell his followers? Don't sit at the head of the table sit at the end of the table because you don't want to be embarrassed. Don't think of yourself so great because you will be knocked down. What if the, the head of the, the table says, gives your seat to somebody else? Control your desire to want to be great. Control your desire to want to be important. Let other people see you by, the work, by your works, by the fruit of your labor. Let, you know, let them see that. And that's, that's what the gospel is. 
to become like Christ more and more. All right, I'm going to end it here. Um, I hope this was helpful. I mean, you know, I wanted to correct what I, um, you know, what I said, if I said anything wrong in the last podcast, but I, I want people to know there's more to the gospel than you realize. There's more to Catholicism than you realize. Okay. It's not just rules. It's about really growing in Christ. It's about constant conversion, constant constantly growing in Jesus. And Catholicism is a beautiful, beautiful way of living the Catholic, uh, living the, the Christian faith. And I really think there's, there's, there's transformations happening. I think there's a lot happening. I think a show like The Chosen, where, where, where Catholic leaders fail, the Holy Spirit will fulfill the message of the gospel other places. Okay? There's a lot to there's a lot to learn and a lot to grow from. And I'm hoping, um, I wish B- Bishop Barron could understand that. I think, I believe he's, I believe he's sincere, but I believe the problem was, is it's the tools he was given is a problem, is a problem. Okay. It's the tools. I don't, I'm not saying we should go back to 1963. We can't go back. But we can regain our grounds. We can, with, with new insights about being Catholic. With new insights about being a Christian. Because the gospel, the gospel's ever challenging us. Christ is always challenging us. You know? And as you know, and I, and I think there's do, and I think the Holy Spirit is doing that. Okay, I'm going to end it here. So we'll say the Our Father in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God bless.